This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. My fellow Met fans, we have finally been given the news. We have waited a long, long time for it. We are no longer going to be forced to watch Daniel Vogelbach stare at strike three. Our long national nightmare has ended on this very exciting tender Friday. The non-tender deadline has come. It has gone. And I think the headline for all of us as Met fans is that David Stearns made the decision to move on from Daniel Vogelback. And I can't say that I'm surprised. Pete, you can't even say you're surprised. You knew Daniel Vogelback was getting non-tendered. Yeah, but like, why did they have to wait to like like the last minute to do it? I mean, they could have done that like <laughs> weeks ago, right? Yeah, but wait, wait, hold on. When you get news that you want, and, and let's face it, let's all remind ourselves how pathetic it is that we're celebrating the fact that the guy the Mets traded for at the deadline in 2022, who was a failure, and then a failure last year when he was forced down our throat. Like, we're celebrating the fact that a bad player is gone. It reminds me of Yankee fans celebrating when Joey Gallo is gone. We should be celebrating when we acquire good players. That's what's really exciting. But who cares when he was non-tendered? Who cares if it was November 12th or November 17th or October 15th? We now know there's no more question that Daniel Vogelback is not going to be a part of the DH scenario in 2024. Yeah. So beggars can't be choosers. Well, bro. okay, I agree with that. However, as a Met fan, I have built an anxiety over all these years. Do we really need to do that over Daniel Vogelback? Do we really need to do it over all of these moves? Like, let's not sweat things out. Let's just make it easy. Make it easy for the Met fan so we don't have to be nervous of like, hey, are they really going to bring back well, David Stearns for a second? Uh, David Stearns. Uh, Daniel Vogelback for a second? Keep this in mind, and I kind of forgot how the non-tender deadline goes. Like, for some reason, my memory told me guys are getting non-tendered in the days leading up to the deadline. And the reality is guys weren't being non-tendered until 7.55 on an 8 o'clock deadline. And I don't know if that's to show class or, hey, it's a tough decision. We don't want to just throw a guy to the curb. But for the most part, a lot of these non-tenders, and we'll go through the Met decisions, we'll go through some of the quote-unquote surprise free agents, non-tenders of other teams throughout the pod, but everybody pretty much waited till 8 o'clock. So I'm sitting there watching Home Alone with my sons because it's almost Christmas time. Why not watch Home Alone? And I'm thinking to myself, my God, I haven't heard anything. <laughs> like, what, the, what the hell is going on? And then they all come in like a flood because obviously the Mets had a lot of decisions to make. And we'll go through all of them. But the big one was moving on from Vogelback. Real quick on him, and we put kind of an end to his Met career. Let's not forget, because I think this has been forgotten based on how bad last season was. And I stand by this as much as you know it drives you nuts to hear me say it. When the Mets traded for him at the trade deadline in 2022, they traded Colin Holderman for him. And my reaction when they first made the trade was, I like bringing in Vogelback. I had no issue with the player. I had an issue with what they gave up. 
I didn't love the fact that the Mets were giving up a relief pitcher, a controllable relief pitcher that they could certainly use. And clearly history has shown that while it may not go down as the worst trade in the history of the Mets, it was not a good one. But Vogel back in 2022, when he came over in the trade, was not bad. And I remember defending him a lot during the offseason because he wasn't bad. Like, he went out there and got on base almost 40% of the time. Now, he didn't hit a ton of home runs. He only hit six, which is really like a pace of hitting 18 over a full season. But he was not a bad player upon the acquisition in 2022. He had an 830 OPS, and he was exactly what he was, a guy who can hit right-handed pitching. You certainly don't want to put him up against the lefty, and Buck did a pretty good job in 2022 of avoiding all of those circumstances. So I don't want to make it seem... Like, he came over and immediately sucked. He was not Darren Ruff, who did come over and immediately struggle. The problem I had, and I think most of us ended up having with him last year, was that he was genuinely bad last year. Like, there's no ifs, ands, or buts. That on-base percentage that was 393 the previous year after the trade dropped all the way down to 339, which is not the worst in the world, but for a guy that's matching a 233 average and doesn't hit for a lot of pop, It's not good. And he didn't hit enough home runs. Only hit 13 in the 104 games he played. And overall, he became a one-dimensional guy who was always looking for walks. Never came up in a big spot, it seemed. Never came through in a big spot, it seemed. And offered zero versatility to this team. And when he would get on base and would draw these walks, he clogged the base paths. So my issue with Vogelback was a couple of things. 2023, a hell of a lot more than 2022. And then the fact that Buck Showalter or Billy Epler, you could take your pick on it, forced him down our throats. And we as Met fans would come into every game checking the lineup, proud of first pitch, and just begging to not have to see him. Especially when you had young guys in the minor leagues, specifically Ronnie Mauricio, before they finally called him up, that was clearly a better option. With that said, he's gone. He's gone. He's no longer our problem. I'm sure he'll come up at a big spot with another team and look for a walk. You thought I was going to say hit a three-run home run, but not really. He'll come up and he'll look for a walk. So Vogelback is gone. As far as the other decisions are concerned, they decided to keep five guys and rid themselves of five guys. Uh, One, you kind of pull to the side is Pete Alonso. Obviously, our focus is working on a long-term contract for Pete. Hopefully, they don't trade him. We'll get into the rumor of Pete Alonso a little bit later on in terms of what the Cubs think would appeal to the Mets. So Pete Alonso, you put to the side. They decide to keep Drew Smith, though there were rumors earlier on Friday that the Mets were open to trading Drew Smith. And you saw a lot of minor deals throughout the last couple of days because I think teams were looking around saying, we're not going to keep this guy or we may not want to keep this guy. Let's see if we can trade him. I think in the case of Drew Smith, there really was no hard deadline. They didn't non-tender him. They kept him. His arbitration projection is at about $2.3 million, and the Mets have two options. Number one, Drew Smith will be on this team battling for a bullpen spot with a salary of about $2.3 million. The other option, and I would guess this is the likeliest option, is he's going to get traded. Just because they didn't make a deal before the non-tender deadline doesn't mean there isn't going to be a team, and you're not getting a lot back. Maybe it's a single-A outfielder. But you still have the option of trading Drew Smith. So I know, Pete, you didn't want Drew Smith on this team. I would still say, if I had to predict, and it's only a prediction, it's less than 50-50, he's on the Major League team come opening day. 
listen, it is what it is. Again, you have to. I, I, I made a joke earlier in the day saying that, you know, there was 10 names to be uh, non-tendered potentially. I was like, non-tender everybody with Pete Alonzo because I don't trust any of those names 100%. But obviously, you do need to fill a roster. So for anybody like, you don't know how baseball goes. I do know baseball, and you got to fill out a 40-man roster eventually. Well, and also the, the thing about Drew Smith, as much as this is very difficult for us to accept, is that in 2021, he was a quality relief pitcher. In 2022, while he struggled later in the season, overall, he was a quality relief pitcher. Last year, it seemed like he gave up so many big home runs, but he is the kind of talent at age 29 years old that would be on a major league roster. Like, he's not some kind of turd. You know what I mean? Like, he's not awful. And I think that when you look around baseball, especially at the success we saw from Texas and even Philadelphia, there's just going to be relief pitchers that come from bad years and have great years. And your hope has to be, if he is on this roster come opening day, that we haven't seen the best of Drew Smith. It's not like he's some terrible relief pitcher. And at $2.3 million, if you non-tender him, you're going to have to replace him with something. And a lot of these relievers in free agency may actually cost you more. So I wasn't against keeping Drew Smith, but I do think there's still a possibility they trade him before the start of opening day in a couple of months. Obviously, you said Pete Alonso. We all agree on that. That was not even a question. I would be surprised on this, though, Pete. You didn't want them to tender a deal to your boy Joey Lucchese, who has a chance to be an important swing guy, maybe even be in this rotation. God knows the way this offseason goes. His projection is only $2 million. I thought that was a no-brainer to keep Joey Lucchese, and the Mets obviously decided to keep Joey Lucchese. Uh, it was a little bit more of like a sarca- sarcastic tweet, but yeah, I mean, I, I <laughs> obviously wanted Lucchese coming back. Out of all those names, uh, pitching-wise, he's the only one that I think has a major upside. We talked about this over and over and over. There's not many of the of the starting pitchers that we trust in the Mets farm system right now or organization. It's it's a it's slim pickings, so you can't get rid of everybody. I'm glad that Luke Casey's back. Again, I don't know how significant he's going to be, but you're talking about a swing guy. Yeah, that that's probably what his role is going to be, especially for that price. I think he's going to be very significant because you need, and we've seen this every year, eight, nine, ten starting pitchers. And right now, and we'll obviously have to see how many starting pitchers, viable starting pitchers the Mets add. I think Joey Lucchese is going to be clearly one of those swing guys, and he's going to make a bunch of starts this year, assuming he can stay healthy. They keep David Peterson, who we know is not healthy, and is going to miss the first few months of the season. They tendered him a contract. His arbitration projection is right around $2 million. And then you have DJ Stewart. And DJ Stewart, while I would not feel comfortable saying DJ Stewart should be an everyday player going into next year, despite how well he played in the 58 games he played down the stretch in 2023, What I thought DJ Stewart earned was a spot on this roster. And he clearly did, because not only did the Mets tender him a contract, they've already agreed to a contract. So we don't have to play the projection game. He was projected at $1.5 million. He agreed to $1.38 million. So David Stearns gotten it done, saving about a hundred grand on DJ Stewart. Good job out of him. The key, though, is this. And I remember saying this in late September, so I feel consistent about it. DJ Stewart earned himself a chance to be on this roster in 2024. I don't think the 58 games, as well as he played, and I was actually surprised about how solid defensively he looked in right field, but obviously the offensive production is what jumps out at you, 840 OPS, hit 11 home runs. Again, only did it 
in 58 games. So showed you a hell of a lot more pop than Daniel Vogelback. And he's an outfielder, which this franchise can use. I would not feel comfortable penciling him in as, let's say, the opening day left fielder in 2024 or the opening day DH in 2024. You need a bench, and that's your left-handed bat off the bench, and that's your, hey, he's a fourth outfielder. He'll get plenty of time between Starling Marte never being healthy, between giving Brandon Nimmo day offs, which hopefully it's not a lot, but he will get one occasionally, to whoever they sign or acquire to play left field not playing every day, DJ Stewart still got a chance to get plenty of at-bats. But I thought he earned a spot on this roster, not necessarily an everyday role. So we'll see how David Stearns handles it. But I'm glad DJ Stewart's back. The guy earned it. Now, I remember when he came into spring training uh, last season, I don't think any of us took him seriously. We kind of viewed him based on his resume in Baltimore and said that's a quadruple-A player. And maybe he'll turn out to still be that. But in the opportunity he was given in 2023, the guy flat out performed. So DJ Stewart's on the roster. Then you have the five guys they got rid of. We started with Daniel Vogelback. They got rid of Jeff Brigham. No big deal. I think we're all fine with that. Sam Coonrod, we barely knew you. See you later. Trevor Gott, disappointing. Yeah, disappointing. I mean, I guess we could rationalize Gott could be Drew Smith in terms of, well, here's a relief pitcher. He's 31 years old. He's had a level of success, I thought, in the first half of 2023 before he got hurt. So if you look back at his April numbers, he pitched well. But he comes over to the Mets, does not pitch well. So I guess you could try to rationalize, ah, with relievers, maybe Jeremy Hefner could fix him. But overall, he was not good for the Mets in the 34 games he pitched in. So no harm, no foul, Trevor God's gone. That was a waste of money. Because remember, the Mets took on a bad contract that they immediately got rid of in Chris Flexen to bring him in. And they traded Zach Muckenhern for him, a left-handed relief pitcher who we barely saw at the major league level in 2023. So it turned out to be a waste, a waste in that. We'll see what Muckenhern ever turns into. If he turns into anything and a waste of the Steve Cohen financial might because eating Chris Flexen's contract turned out to be nothing. And then you've got the big one, the one that I'm very mixed about. And that is the end of Luis Guillorme. Luis Guillorme has not only been a guy that I've had major trouble pronouncing the name of throughout his Met tenure, he was wildly famous for catching a bat with one hand in spring training. Isn't that what it was? It was a bat. I don't think it was a ball. I'm trying to remember. Yeah, that was a bat. Caught a bat with one hand. That was before he was ever a major leaguer. And he's also a guy that's been in the Met organization for a long time. He was a 10th round pick all the way back in 2013. So he was with this franchise for a decade, made his major league debut back in 2018. And I think is a serviceable piece off the bench. He's a brilliant glove at third base, at shortstop, at second base. He certainly, if he played enough, which he hasn't been able to do the last couple of years because of injury, especially in 2022 when he was morphing into an everyday player before his injury, he'd have a chance to win that utility gold glove award because he's that good. And so seeing him gone, I'll tell you why it's sort of disappointing, but then I'll give you the part where I understand. It's disappointing because he's a useful baseball player. Like He's not much of a hitter, obviously, and didn't hit a lot last year. He showed more of that in 2022. Remember, he became like the left-handed platoon at third base with Eduardo Escobar. That was happening before he got hurt. And he actually was a respectable hitter in 2022. But I, I love his versatility and his ability to defend at a high level. 
Because if Brett Beatty turns out to be the everyday third baseman, and I hope he gets better and better defensively, having a Luis Guillerme off your bench coming in and supplying that kind of glove is very valuable. If the Mets go out and sign Justin Turner, and he's their third baseman, and Justin Turner at this age is not exactly Brooks Robinson defensively, it's good to have a guy like Luis Guillerme off your bench. Where he becomes replaceable is the existence of Ronnie Mauricio. Luis Guillerme was the only guy that could play shortstop on this team. And that was a part of his value as well, even though Francisco Lindor almost plays every inning, every single season. Having Mauricio makes it so that you don't have to have that backup shortstop on your roster. Now, Mauricio is an everyday player, which we hope that involves a lot of movement if a Lindor got hurt in the seventh inning of the game. But I think the existence of Ronnie Mauricio makes it easier to not carry Luis Guillorme around. I kind of hope they bring him back on a cheaper contract, which I guess is a possibility. Certainly when you non-tender a guy, it is. But that one's a little bittersweet. I like Luis Guillorme. I will miss him. Yeah, but here's the problem, right? And I, and I do. I understand we have, you know, attractions to certain players for things they've done. Guillorme, I think, is definitely a fan favorite, so I'm probably the outlier here. But at some point in time, you also need to build a bench that's not just fil- filled with one-dimensional players. And last year, that was a huge issue. You had a one-dimensional bench on every spot, whether it was Vogelbeck, Guillorme, LeCastro. You go down the list, they do one thing. Narvaez or whomever the backup catcher was, they do one thing and one thing well, and they don't even do it that well. That was a problem. Guillorme's defense took a hit last year, and that was bad. And then Plus, there was the lack of offense. You need to have a more – like DJ Stewart coming back to be more of a bench guy, being a fourth outfielder. I feel like his bat was decent enough that you can play him defensively and get a, get him some at-bats, and it works because he's not just as, again, one-dimensional player. You need to have a much more um, – you have a, need to have a stronger bench, personally speaking. And I don't, I don't think we need to sit here, and I don't need to have a, a bench conversation today, but in the long run – that's kind of what keeps your team going. No, it's important. I agree a bench is important. I do think that Mauricio, even as an everyday player, allows you to not keep a guy who's only there because he's a glove and is a backup shortstop. And I agree. That was a part of the value that Luis Guillorme had, that he was the only true backup shortstop on the roster. I'll just miss him because I thought he was good, because I thought he was effective in the role that he had. Last year, you're right, though, was kind of a down year for him. He missed a lot of time due to injury, was not as brilliant defensively as he was the year before. I think we saw the best of Luis Guillorme in 2022, and unfortunately, that injury he suffered, I think it was in August of 2022, maybe it was July. I'm trying to remember the timeline on it. That seemed to kind of alter his med career. That was the hottest streak of his career before he got hurt and has really never been the same guy. Could I uh, just get one more for the record? Proper pronunciation of Guillaume. Luis Guillaume. Did I do that correct? I don't know. <laughs> I, I already forgot. <laughs> Guillaume. I don't think I got his name right until the very end, unfortunately. But I always enjoyed watching him. He was a solid Met. As far as other guys that got non-tendered, there, there really was not a lot of guys that jumped out at me. Rowdy Telez being non-tendered which is a guy we talked about a few episodes ago as a potential DH target. Though I know he's going to remind too many people of Daniel Vogelback because he's big, (laughs) because he's a lefty, 
because he's got pop, but does he have enough pop? And he's coming off a bad year, and he only plays first base. And he doesn't really have a neck. <laughs> so, so maybe Telez is not the perfect target, though he does have the connection to David Stearns, which I know we're going to play that game. Anybody who ever played for the Milwaukee Brewers is going to seem like a fit. I was intrigued by Nick Senzel, who was non-tendered by Cincinnati. There's something about former prospects, guys who you heard so much about, for so long. And Nick Senzel was certainly one of those guys. He was a top draft pick by Cincinnati back in 2016. Guy was actually taken second overall. And he's turned into a super utility player. He's a useful Major League Baseball player. And I mean that because he can play third base. He can play center field. He can play left field. Uh, he's never really hit at the Major League level, which is the biggest problem. He's not an everyday player. I certainly wouldn't suggest that. But... I'm intrigued, and I think a part of why I'm intrigued is because he's a former prospect. And sometimes with former prospects, there's a part of you that say, maybe at some point they'll turn it around. Dakota Hudson was another guy who was non-tendered who I'm slightly intrigued by. He's still young. He's 29 years old. And Dakota Hudson, sort of similar to Jack Flaherty, not only because he's a Cardinal, but because there's that one year, and for Hudson it was back in 2019 when he was a rookie, where he had a really good rookie season. He was really good. He went out, he made 32 starts. He had a mid-three ERA and had a really good year. 2020, pitched well, but it's a short season. You don't even think about it. And then he missed all of 2021, comes back in 2022 and is very mediocre. And then last year, misses a bunch of time and is mediocre again. But because he showed just enough as a rookie, You look at a guy like Dakota Hudson, and I'm certainly not suggesting him as a lock rotation spot. I'm more suggesting him as another swing option because you need so much depth to get through a full major league season, kind of like Joey Lucchese. So just a guy who I heard his name, and I said, oh, that's interesting. The other one was Austin Meadows. I don't know if Austin Meadows is ever going to play major league baseball again. He was dealing with mental health issues last year, really the last two years, and he was dealing with anxiety And the last I read about Austin Meadows is he has not decided if he wants to play baseball in 2024. But Austin Meadows is a guy who had that brilliant season, also 2019, right after he was traded in that Chris Archer trade. And he was an all-star. And he was damn good, and he had 33 home runs. And then even back in 2021, it wasn't as good of an offensive year, but he drove in over 100 runs. And then the Rays, they know when to get out. I give that about Tampa Bay, man. They know when to get out. And they trade him to Detroit. And I don't mean that in terms of the -the off-the-field issues he's dealing with. And I wish him the best. I think more just, here's a baseball player, and we probably got the best out of him. That's what I mean, how Tampa Bay, like they did with Chris Archer. Same thing, they kind of knew. So you hear Austin Meadows' name, and it certainly jumps out of you because he is a name, because he is a former all-star caliber player. But I think right now Austin Meadows has to figure out if he's going to try to play baseball again. If he does... Would I bring him in on a spring training invite? Absolutely. Could I? Absolutely. Why the hell not? Can Can I just add to this? Because it's interesting to me, and this is why I followed Meadows' career closely just because of fantasy baseball purposes. I've kept him a couple times, which is pathetic. But anyway. I had him first. Remember that yes, piece. Yes, I do remember. <laughs> well, but listen, and then when, when he did nothing up until the Rays, really, and then, uh, again, fell off real quick. But he was with the Detroit system last year, his brother was part of the system. Yes. His yes. brother got called up. 
You would think if he wants to play ball, he would do it with his brother around you. Do you think that like a, someone that he can lean upon? If he's not going to play for Detroit, I can't see him going anywhere else and playing ball. No, he probably isn't, and you know, I, I wouldn't count on it. I'm just saying if Austin Meadows wants to play Major League Baseball, whether you're the Mets, the Yankees, or any other team, he's a talent enough where you give him an invite and see what he's got. Problem is he hasn't really played. He didn't play much last year, didn't play that much in 2022, hasn't played a lot of baseball the last couple of years. But let's get to the big one. The biggest non-tender, the most intriguing non-tender, and one that I would absolutely keep an eye on because of that connection, is Brandon Woodruff. Now, let's keep in mind what's going on here with Brandon Woodruff. Brandon Woodruff was non-tendered because he's out for the season. That's why. Or he's, let me phrase this correctly, he is likely out for the season. That's the way it's been phrased with the injury he's dealing with during the offseason. He had surgery during the offseason, and the assumption has been he's either missing a big chunk of the season or he's going to miss the entire season. And, and also what I read about it, which was sort of strange, is that it's an injury that they don't deem to be serious, but the timing of it was very bad in terms of when the surgery took place. And you know, just he's going to miss the season. And by the way, the surgery has to be serious because if you're missing a season, you're missing a lot of time. But Brandon Woodruff, when he's pitched has been very good. And even this past season in 2023, he made 11 starts because he missed a bunch of time to injury earlier in the season. The guy was awesome. Like he had a 2.28 ERA in the 11 starts he made. Back in 2022, he was really good. Back in 2021, he was really good. Like Brandon Woodruff has been one of those guys since his first major league season. When he pitches, he's damn good. Age-wise, he's going to be 31 years old in February. But if we're under the impression he's out for the year, and I certainly think he is, and the Brewers released a beautiful statement, very nice statement, about how difficult of a decision it was, how they love Woody, he'll always be a Brewer, and they're open to bringing him back. They could not tender him a deal because he was projected to make $11.5 million and then be a free agent. If he's out for the season, how could you give him that? Like it, it doesn't make any sense. The only option you would have is to negotiate a two-year contract where, and that's the kind of deal I think he signs if he signs anywhere, and I think he will, and that's the kind of deal the Mets would have to consider. They actually did it on a much lesser scale with John Curtis a couple of years ago where you sign a guy, you know he's out for the season, so you know he's not pitching this year, but then there's that second year that you have control over. So, what does that contract look like? Are the Mets going to give him, you know, a two-year, $20 million deal where you're giving him $6 million for this season and then $14 million for next year? I don't know. I don't know what kind of deal you give him. It's a two-year deal. I'm just not sure about the money. And I'm open to it because he's a damn good pitcher. I just know short-term he doesn't do anything for us. Like, if the Mets come out and announce tomorrow they've signed Brandon Woodruff to that kind of two-year contract – I think we'd mostly agree that's a great deal for 2025, but it doesn't do anything for us in the short term because he's out for the season. I do think it's worth investigating. I think those are smart moves. We've seen the Tampa Bay Rays make moves like that in the past where you sign a guy who you know is not pitching 
to an affordable two-year deal, and then you reap the rewards potentially two years from now. Because of the Stearns connection, like we mentioned earlier, we're always going to speculate. I think it's a possibility. Would you be up for that? Would that intrigue you? So Brandon Woodruff, I think, is someone that's a no-brainer. I know the situation right now. It sucks. But if you take his best season, you know, and you compare it to, like, if it was a two-year, $20 million deal, you're basically paying it in a, in a little bit in advance. You know, you're paying not for next year or for 2024, but you're paying for 2025, and it's a get a cheaper deal. Now, if he could put up what he's put up in the past when he's been completely just, you know, outright nasty on the mound, it's so worth it. And in 2025, if, like, say, for example, we miss out on Yamamoto when we get Shohei, or say we get both. You're talking about Shohei Otani or Yamamoto and Woodruff. You're talking about two guys that could fight for a Cy Young. Oh, plus Kodai Sanga. I mean, that's freaking, that's awesome. Yeah, that Otani part seems like a fantasy. But sure, why the hell not? Uh, The surgery he had, by the way, was right shoulder surgery to repair his anterior capsule. And I've read they're expecting him to miss most of the 2024 season. I think John Paul Morosi tweeted he could be back by the All-Star break, but I haven't seen that anywhere else. I've seen he's going to miss most of the season. Uh, obviously, if he signs somewhere, I'm sure what team he's on and where they are in a pennant race may impact that, but I certainly think we have to view it as he's out for the season. And and I'm with you by going after him. Like, why the hell not? I think where the Mets may end up if they miss out on Yamamoto, and I know this may sound really disappointing and piss a lot of people off, and I get why. It should piss you off, I guess. Is if they don't get Yamamoto, they may go with a lot of short-term deals. They may go a lot of one-year deals and then kind of re-enter the market in 2025 when Shane Bieber's a free agent, when Corbin Burns is a free agent, when Shohei Otani would pitch, assuming you signed him, when Brandon Woodruff would pitch, assuming you signed him. So if you are ending up in that direction where you're signing guys to a lot of one-year deals, that at least locks you in for a guy that you could kind of pencil into the rotation for 2025. So I'm open to it. We'll see how aggressive David Stearns is on that. But other than that, there really weren't any other names that jumped out at me. There weren't a lot of names that had me all that excited. We had mentioned a couple of days ago Cal Quantrill as a possible back-of-the-rotation guy after he was DFA'd by Cleveland. But guess what? They went out and traded him to the Colorado Rockies. So it did not work out. A couple of quick emails on the Rico Brony. And, of course, you can email us at ricob at gmail.com. Steve writes, love the show. If the Mets are successful in getting Yamamoto and he's their number one and their number two starter, both out of Japan, will both of them need five or six days rest between starts? Do you think that's a potential problem? What I think it is, is a six-man rotation. If they successfully sign Yamamoto, I think the Mets are almost a mortal lock to have a six-man rotation. And that's where Hoff's boy Joey Lucchese comes in. That's where signing a depth guy like a Dakota Hudson, who we brought up earlier as a non-tender guy, that's where that comes in. So I think those options, as unappealing as they may sound, Maybe more necessary when you're talking about a six-man rotation. By the way, a lot of emails in terms of the rewatch, which I talked about on the last Rico. 
what game should we rewatch and then do a podcast on? Last year, we did it on Game 7 of the 86 World Series. A lot of, and, and I suggest it should be a negative game. I brought up some kind of brutal loss since we did a positive one last year. We did get a little bit of what you said, Pete, of the last game in 07. The last game in 07 is not on YouTube. I looked for it. The Saturday game from 07, YouTube. The Friday game, YouTube. But that final game in 2007, I like to call it the Tommy Glavin can't get a freaking out game, is not on YouTube. So in fairness, we have to eliminate that as a possibility. I've heard some 2000 World Series candidates in the email, a few Game 6, 1999 in the email. We got a lot of candidates. A lot of candidates. I can't believe it's not on YouTube. What are they trying to scrub it away like Back to the Future? <laughs> Do you really want it on YouTube, though? No, but I mean, again, like for our purpose, yes, just have it for one time only. Could they like release it for one day? Everyone get a chance to watch Misery? Yeah. I don't know about you, and I'm going to leave it up to the people. I kind of, I'm more partial to going back further. Like 2007, believe it or not, I know it's, it is a long time ago when you think about it, 17 years, 16 years. I don't think that's long enough. Like, I like the idea of going back even further. to, To me, it's 2000 or earlier and preferably a game I never saw, or at least I never saw watching. And I know that's different for all our ages. I mean, if you're a 55 year old listener right now, you've seen a lot of them. If you're a 70 old listener, you've seen all of them. I get that. My concern about Game 7 and 73, which is on YouTube, Game 7 of the 1973 World Series, I put it on for 10 seconds. My son was with me, and he's like, you can't see anything. It's so blurry. <laughs> so I, I don't know how many people want to sit there for three hours watching a game that's so freaking blurry. Well, maybe we could listen to it on the like a radio recap. Kind of is. It's kind of what it would be. Like you're <laughs> looking at it, but you're mostly listening to it. So I have a good suggestion, and this is a historic for the Mets. And I'm not sure which game we want to do, but we should definitely go and look back at Anthony Young's career. Maybe go for the record-setting loss in a row. Maybe <laughs> that's where we go. The late Anthony Young, by the way. I know. It's unfortunate. I, it's weird to find like what's on YouTube and what's not. You could find so many random Mech games, and I was thinking about that, too. Like, why don't we pick the most random Met game that's on YouTube from, it doesn't even matter the year, and just watch it? Because, <laughs> dude, there are so many of them. Like, there's so, from the 80s, from the 90s, from this, they're just sitting there. Like, May 25th against the Expos, it's just sitting there. So, maybe we'll have a second rewatch, and we'll call it the random rewatch, and we'll find a random Met game that we will rewatch. We'll continue to take suggestions, and we'll announce one soon, and then we'll give you time to watch it, and then we'll do a pod. But you can email the pod anytime, B at gmail.com. It's been a very busy week for the Rico Bronya. We, in fact, will have another podcast coming out Sunday, sometimes Sunday into Monday, that focuses on third base, the internal options, the external options. So take a listen to that wherever you download your podcast, Rico Bronya. Thank you very much for listening, and again, Goodbye, Daniel Vogelback. Thanks for the memories. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronya podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times. <laughs>